Please stand as you are able for the reading of God's word. The text for this morning is Psalm 84. The text will be on the screen as I read. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength, till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is God's word. Please be seated. Uh, my name is Brian. I'm uh, the pastor here at Trinity, one of the pastors here at Trinity City Church. Thank you uh, for gathering here. If you're visiting, welcome. Uh, and what you're jumping into the middle of, every, every summer we do 10 psalms, and we're going through Psalm 80s, the 80s, uh, in uh, the book of Psalms uh, for this summer, and we're landing on Psalm 84 today. Uh, one of the things that we're also entertaining for uh, the next sermon series uh, that come this fall, uh, some of the themes and the theology for that potential sermon series comes up in this psalm, and I'll, I'll intro uh, the sermon to talk a little bit about that, uh, and if that's something that might be helpful to you and you want to weigh in on how that sermon series might be shaped, uh, let, let me know uh, maybe after this psalm, and maybe if the psalm doesn't really land on you, you're like, I don't know, maybe you shouldn't do that sermon series. I'll just pray for you because I think it's still like a great theme uh, for us to hear and uh, something something just really rich that gives us a picture of what the good life really is. But let's pray also for our time so that we can hear that message from the Lord in Psalm 84 today. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we gather here to hear your voice. We gather here to experience your presence that resides in each and every one that has faith. And as we come together, Lord, you show up in a unique way. So help us to enjoy your presence through faith and help us to hear why that's significant, both here and as we journey towards uh, your true and real home in heaven, where you dwell in a magnificent glory through your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. What does it mean to be blessed? That's a phrase, if you listen to the sermon, uh, text being read, Psalm 84, that comes up, that word comes up 
quite a lot. Blessed, blessed is this person, blessed is the one who experiences this. And many people know that it's a religious term, and maybe you've seen the word and understand roughly that it's a good thing, even if you don't know maybe the specifics of what it means to be blessed in a rich and theological sense. You know, like, it sounds like a good thing. I want to be blessed. Maybe you went to your aunt's home, and she recently went to Hobby Lobby, got herself a sign, and had something about being blessed on it. You know, I was looking up some of these, and maybe it was the sign that says, too grateful to be hateful, too uh, blessed to be stressed. Maybe that's the sign that you've read and you're like, that sounds like a good thing. I want to be blessed. And maybe that's just the the depth that you've went to. You just know that it's a good thing. Uh, In studying this word for the sermon, uh, one of the the lectionaries, uh, dictionaries, says that this word is, quote, a heightened state of happiness and joy due to favorable circumstances. It's a heightened state of joy due to favorable circumstances. But there's still another problem with this definition if you don't grasp it correctly, because I think often, especially in our culture, we define favorable circumstances based on the things of the world. And the problem with trying to find ultimate joy and happiness in the circumstances of life is that those things change. They're not steady. They fluctuate. They're unreliable. You can bank on a relationship, have hope in your career going a certain direction, and if you've had that experience where you've kind of placed all your chips into that that thing, you know that it can rattle you because it can be taken away. It 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 can go a different direction than you think it will go. If you place your hope in favorable circumstances of this life, there's bad news. Life never goes the direction that we think it's going to go. So there must be some type of security and blessedness that the scriptures speak of that's different than finding your joy in the things of this world. And that's what this psalm reflects on. There's three times in the psalm that it says, blessed is the one, or blessed is the person. This is the good life, it's saying. If you want the happy life, the good life, the joyous life, this is the one who achieves it or finds it. And here are some of those verses. Verse 4 of Psalm 84, blessed are those who dwell in your house, in God's house. They are ever praising you. The second time it shows up is in the next verse. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, Lord, whose heart are set on a pilgrimage. In verse 12, the psalm wraps up, wraps up saying, Blessed is the one who trusts in you. So the good life, the happy life, the joyous life, according to the psalm, is found not in the circumstances of this world, but found in the very presence of God. And that's where the psalm is going to guide us to right now. Look at verses 1 through 2 to see how it unpacks this first uh, statement of being blessed. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Different words are used here for the house of God. It's his dwelling place, his courts, and this would bring a vivid picture to the imaginations of the original readers as they would be thinking about the temple of God where they would go to meet with him and experience his presence in the very temple of God. It reminds me of probably a great reason why 
often sacred buildings are built in such a lovely way. You can think about the loveliness of sacred spaces, this one being one of them. And, like, I, and I've always had a thing for church buildings. My favorite one in the entire Twin Cities, if you've ever been there, is in downtown Minneapolis. It's Westminster Presbyterian, one of the most beautiful church buildings that I've ever seen uh, in my life. And it has just the, the kind of a similar vibe as this, but in a bigger sense. It's got the dark wood and a wrapped-around balcony for God's people to meet. It's got stained glass, but the thing that really sends it over the edge for me, it's got stained glass on the ceiling. It's just a beautiful place for God's people to meet in a sanctuary to enjoy fellowship with one another. And that's one of the things to remind yourself of, because even if you're thinking about the courts of God or, or a building uh, for God, you often might think of the aesthetics of the specific building, but this uh, psalm is celebrating more than that. You can go one step further and remind yourself one of the things that makes a building that is sacred and set apart for the Lord so special is the fact that God's people who have faith gather there, and that's another thing that makes it lovely. People go there to experience God's presence together. There's a fellowship of faith that occurs in these sacred spaces that people long for and want to experience. It reminds me of Story after story I heard uh, once uh, COVID was starting to uh, wind down and we're wrapping our minds around it and people were starting to gather again. And bit by bit, people, individual households, individuals would have this experience of having been absent from the gathering of saints and now going back and getting choked up about it. Coming into the specific narthex back here and just being overcome with emotion, not because of the building, but because of what takes place in that building, the gathering of saints for a specific purpose. And that specific purpose in sacred spaces is to experience the presence of God together through faith. That's the emphasis of the psalm. It's not simply the place that's lovely or the fact that God's people gather there the emphasis is on the purpose of that place or why people are gathering there. It's because God dwells there. He lives there. In fact, the yearning is so much uh, that, that not just for a building, but it also says that it's for the living God. That's where his heart is longing for, is the presence of the living God. That's why the psalmist's heart and flesh cry out for the presence of God. Verses 3 through 4 continue. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Now, when I first read verse 3, I had one of those experiences that you often have when you have personal stories that you bring into a verse of Scripture, and you kind of trip up over it a little bit, at least I did for myself because it talks about birds in the very place of God. And that made me think, some of you might remember this, that there was a time here at Trinity City Church's building where there were birds in the chimney, which is right over there. That's where the chimney is, right there. And pigeons lived there. And I had a, a personal battle with these pigeons to get them out there for years because my office is on the other side of there. I could hear those critters in there, like just like, just like terrorizing me mentally and emotionally because I could just hear them talking about me on the other side of that brick wall. And I wanted them out there. And we finally were able to get them out there when we uh, reshingled the roof and they were able to 
believe. And that's where my brain went. It's just like, oh, I hated those things. They, they were the very, like, if you wonder where COVID came from when it hit St. Paul, it was probably those pigeons that brought it there. That's how I felt about those things, right? So that's where my brain was going. But in a sense, that's kind of the point of the psalm, too, is like these are birds, going to a sacred place and dwelling there. And this building was even more open than a church building like this. The, the Holy Temple in the Old Testament would have had open courts and open rooms that it would have been very easy for birds to go there and to make a home. And the psalmist is reflecting that if these birds can make a home there, how much more are we that are not only created in His image but called to be His people should dwell here and make our home here? If a bird can make a home here, if a pigeon can make a home here? How much more is God's people at home in a place that is for God's presence? That's how the psalmist is reflecting on this time. To make your home in God's presence is the good life. That's what verse 4 is saying. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed is that person. They have the good life. The good life is to make your home in God's presence. It's not simply to make uh, God's presence, a vacation destination or a place to visit, but your home. Home is an easy enough way to, to just to, to, to reflect on this. Home is a place where you go for rest and fellowship. It's where you invest a lot of resources and a lot of time. It's both a place of solitude and silence, but also a place for parties and celebration. We know what it, make, what it means to make yourself a home and how a home is different than an Airbnb. There's more significance there. It occupies more of your time and your affection, and that's the call here. It's to make your home in the very presence of God. And we know in the gospel of Jesus Christ that making your home in God happens when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. If you're searching for God, Jesus says you will find him in me. As Colossians 1 says, when Paul is reflecting on the supremacy of Christ over creation and redemption, he writes in verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So that is the good life, found in God's house, that is, in His presence through faith in Christ. And finding your home is something that's even more profound if you're on the journey to experience the fullness of God's presence. And that's where the psalmist starts to reflect in the next verses, verses 5 through 9. Let's look at those together. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose heart are set on a pilgrimage, as they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. The good life is not only a person that experiences the presence of God, makes our home with God, but it's also the one who journeys to God's house. See that? After reflecting on how lovely God's presence and place is, now the psalmist is reflecting on even the journey to get there is the good life. The language is of a pilgrimage to a religious site, and this is a bigger deal than what you experience Sunday morning in your 
five or less mile commute to this place. A pilgrimage to a religious site is more like a road trip that takes a lot of time, a lot of planning, you got a budget for it, and that's what's being reflected on here is those from all over the world going to the temple of God in order to experience God's presence, and it's a multiple day journey with sacrifice and also threats that might happen on that, that road trip to go to this sacred site. That's the picture here. I know this is summer and many of you are going on road trips, so this should be somewhat relatable. I know it is for me. Uh, I mentioned a couple weeks ago that my family recently went to Panama City Beach in the panhandle of Florida, and like any road trip, again, took a lot of time to plan it, took some time to make a budget to make sure that it would work, and a lot of time on the road because we didn't fly there, we drove there. Family of six stuffed in a van going to Panama City from the great north. I even have stats. I know some people have, you know, have cars and you can put like different trips on there and it just monitors like all these different stats about your trip. So I'll, this is the stats from that trip uh, to Florida. If you're wondering what a round trip uh, in the van would look like, we drove uh, 2,760 miles there and back. That translates into nearly 49 hours in the car together a family of six in a car together. We still love each other by the grace of God. That's, I mean, even just to put that into perspective, that's longer than likely multiple seasons of your favorite Netflix show. That's, that's how long of a road trip this was. And one final stat, um, if you're curious, a road trip like this for a 2017 Chrysler Pacifica averages about 27.1 miles per gallon. Okay, that was the last stat on that road trip. So you have done this before, or maybe you've heard of folks like myself that have done this before, that went on a road trip, and why would you put that much time and resources and the very health of your family in jeopardy to go on a road trip like this? It's because of the destination. It's where you're going. We're going to the beach, right? With, with salt water at a beach, right? We don't have that around this area, so you have to drive to experience it. And when you know the destination is worth it, then you put the time and the strength in to do whatever it takes to get there. And this is the other thing that the psalm is highlighting, not only trying to get you to imagine a road trip to a very sacred and special place, but also that the journey itself, no matter what you face, is going to be worth it. It's highlighting that reality with that reference to the Valley of Baca. We're not sure what that place exactly is, at least scholars who study this, but the general consensus is that it's a valley that's just was known as a dry place, more like a desert. So the point here being is that even though we walk through the dry land on this journey, even if you're walking through the desert, it changes the experience of that if you know that the destination is worth it. That's why that language about even though they're passing through this incredibly dry place, verse 6 says, they make it as a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. So even though they're walking through a dry place, they experience it in a different way because of the destination that they're going to. The strength is from God who gives them the, the might and the strength to go on this journey through a rough place and experience in this way because of where they're going. 
And there is some really important and profound applications to our life right now. Because often people think, if I come to the Christian faith, if I set my face towards the presence of God, then what the blessed life is going to look like is removing the hard stuff. And there's not a shred of evidence of that in the Scriptures. The verses of the Scriptures actually say the opposite that those things still remain. Just because you become a Christian and set your heart towards your home in heaven, does that not mean that now God takes you out of the desert? You still pass through the desert like everybody else does. You still experience heartache and difficulty. But the difference now becomes, because of the destination you're going through, it changes the experience of those hard things. Your hope is in the final destination, and that transforms your experience of the dry lands. The transformation is not taking you out of the land, but the strength now that God gives you from faith in the Lord and hope to arrive now at that final destination. After Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, he poured out his promised Holy Spirit onto the church. And in this sense, God's presence and strength is us is with us right now even as we travel towards our final destination. It's why Paul prays in Ephesians 3.16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And this is an amazing reality about the journey that we're on even if we're going through the desert. The strength to get to our final destination to experience God's fullness of his presence occurs because we have a measure of that presence right now through the Holy Spirit because of the work of Christ. One day we will get to the true and better temple because Christ made us God's temple by pouring out his spirit on us. And that's where the strength for this journey and to face the things we face comes from is the very presence of God that's with us right now through Christ even as we journey to the place where we get to experience the fullness of his presence forever. So going back to the road trip trip illustration, it actually reminds me of one thing. I don't know if you ever experienced this, but you're on a road trip, the destination, the trip, the vacation place is always so exciting at the beginning, but then you get over it. You get sick of it. And then you know you have to turn around and you have to come home, and that's where you really start to want. Even more than the trip initially, you're like, I just want to be home. This place was great. I experienced it. But look, it was the panhandle of Florida. I got sunburnt. I'm gross from sweating all the time. I just want to go home to the glorious north, right? And that's kind of where I was and a lot of our family. Like, often you go on a vacation and it's a great experience, but then you just want to be home. And that's where the psalmist starts to end, too, as he goes back to not only now reflecting on the journey, but goes back to that final destination and reflects on that again. Verses 10 to the end of the psalm. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. How much better is God's presence and place than anything this world can offer? That's what he's dwelling on right now. 
And that first verse, verse 10, says, One day spent in the presence and place of God is better than a thousand elsewhere. That is a profound statement to meditate on. A thousand elsewhere. And don't even think about meditating on that just like, you know, an average day or especially your your worst days. Think about your best day. What would be the best day for you? What would that look like? You know, you wake up, slow morning, and every single meal you enjoy, it's your favorite breakfast, favorite lunch, favorite dinner, all the rich food and drinks that you love to enjoy, and somehow, miraculously, your body can handle it, right? And you don't feel miserable by having rich meal after rich meal after rich meal. And not only do you get to share those experiences, but maybe you also get to have the company of your favorite people, your friends and your family that you just enjoy and find life with, they're with you that day as well. Not only are you enjoying their company, but you're doing the things that you also like to do the most, the activities that you enjoy the most. It's the best day. And so what that verse is saying is one day in the presence of God is better than 1,000 of your best days that you can even imagine. That's how awesome it is. And then it goes on to also say that it's better to be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. The psalmist is reflecting on all the best that the wicked have to offer. And don't think just like maybe an obvious wicked offering, but think of something that is something that this world might offer, but it's in a different direction than faith. It's a different direction than the life of love that Christ calls you to. It's it's like Christianity offers you this, but I'm going to offer you this. That's what he's reflecting on here, is is something that's being offered to you in this life that is an offer that looks good and it's the good life, but you have to turn away from the Lord to achieve it. That's what he's dwelling on here. And so he is saying that even if the wicked or whatever that offer is, is the closest and best accommodations that this world can afford, and and you can even have this intimacy as as, as being described as you're dwelling in the very tent. That's the offer. That comparatively, it's not as good as even the most humble accommodations in the very temple of God. That it's even better to be a door person at letting people into the temple of God than it is to dwell and have rich fellowship in anything that this world has to offer. That's what's being said. Here's another way to put it, all right? To be a valet at God's restaurant is better than eating within a high-end establishment of the wicked. That's what he's saying. That's how much better it is than anything this world can offer you. And that's why he longs for it. The point is, nothing that this world can offer you is going to be better than making your home with God and setting your heart towards that journey to be with him forever and ever and ever. And that's why verse 12 ends that saying that the good life belongs to those who trust in this truth and set their compass towards that home. The person who makes God their light and protection on that journey is the one that has the good life. And the promise here is that, he says in that verse, no good thing does he withhold from such a person. Why? Because God gives us the best thing, namely himself, his glory, and his presence. And nothing else in this world can offer you that except for the gospel of Jesus Christ, paid and bought for you by spilt blood of the Son. 
and the victory of his resurrection. Do you long for that place, brothers and sisters? Say amen if you do. Amen. Do you long for it, brothers and sisters? Amen. And so here's another way I want to think about it, okay? I was, I was talking to um, another staff person this week, and, that, and he was uh, listening um, to a podcast this week where it was interviewing somebody who had lost his faith at one point. And this is a person that, like, almost his journey mirrored, in a sense, uh, my experience of... Uh, feeling called to ministry and coming to faith and going to seminary and all that. So this person was a church leader, he was a pastor, and he lost his faith. And the person who was interviewing the podcast, this is still a person of faith, he had, this person's still a Christian, interviewing, the, interviewing this person that had lost his faith. And he's trying to get at, like, what happened? Like, what made you go all in on this faith and then eventually lose it, and now you say, it's not for me? And one of the things he's talked about was it was really, really interesting as he was unpacking that for him. And he said one of the reasons that he came to believe in the Lord is because for him, he wanted a different worldview that made sense of the world and a way to cope with his struggles. So he wanted to come to the faith to make sense of the world and to face the things that he was facing in a way that he felt like nothing else the world was offering him could help him with. But then he realized after a while that, that, that the faith that he had was actually placed in the wrong object. He was like, I had a faith of something that was going to fix my problems. I had a faith in a worldview, but not a person. And because that, and because now he started to perceive Christianity as mainly as a worldview or as a, as a kind of self-help program, he's like, I'm out because it really didn't help my problems, and I think I can find better worldviews. But that was the problem, as we were reflecting on this, is that is not the Christian faith. You can't describe the Christian faith as ultimately something that you come to to cope with emotional distress or to try to make sense of the world. That's not the object of the faith. The object of faith is God himself and his glorious presence. And don't think that that's something that is a mistake that, 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 that doesn't happen. It happens as old as the Gospels of Jesus Christ, where if you read the Gospel of John, that happens to the most religious people that know the Scriptures the most, but have placed their faith not in the, the very presence of God, but in the religious stuff that the Christian faith has to offer. If you go to John chapter 5, Jesus is talking to a group of people who study the scriptures, and they do so because they say we're trying to find eternal life. Yet they're unable to look up to Jesus, and we know from the scriptures that that's where the fullness of God's presence dwells. They can't look up and see that he's the one that they're actually looking for. And so Jesus says in John 5:39, you study the scriptures diligently, because you think in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. In other words, Jesus is saying you're looking for eternal life in the wrong place. It's not in study or knowledge of scripture, but what the scriptures point to. God himself as the source of eternal life. And I am standing right in front of you. Jesus is saying, the fullness of God in bodily form, yet you refuse to come to me. Why are you a Christian, brother and sister? 
Is it to fix some problems? Is it because it was a better presentation than other systems of this world? Or is it because you long for the very presence and glory of God? And if that's the source of your faith, then that is the blessed life. That is the good life. And that is the unshakable life that no matter what circumstances you encounter, no matter what valley or desert you you, you drive through or you walk through, you can make it to your destination because you know that destination is a good life found in the very presence of God. So religious folks, that's an important point for us who are in the faith to remember. If you put your hope for eternal life in something other than Christ, you've missed the entire point of the Christian faith. It's about God and God alone. And if you're here this morning and you're searching for something better, if you're searching for God and you want to find rest in his presence, the Christian faith is here to say, That if you're being pulled towards Jesus, that's good news. Because that's the very presence and fullness of God who dwelt among us, died on the cross for our sins, and raised from the dead. Make our home in God. That is the good life.